More Questions Than Answers with Julie Panessi, brought to you by the Democracy Fund. Tonight, I have an old Armenian folktale to tell you. It's a story that my daughter loves to hear, and it goes like this. There is a fox who stole some milk from an old woman. She punished him by cutting off his tail. He looks funny, of course, without his tail, and so all his friends laugh at him. He begs the old woman to sew his tail back on, but she will only do it if he gives her back the milk he stole. But, of course, the milk is gone, so he goes to a cow and asks for her milk to repay the old woman. But the cow will only give him her milk if the fox brings her some grass. And the field will only give up the grass if he brings it some water, and so the story goes and goes and goes. Two interesting things I think about this story. First, the fox can only get what he wants if he first does something that someone else asks of him. Second, the fox goes to such great lengths to get his tail back, not because of any inherent value the tail offers him because it helps him to swat flies or stay warm at night, but because his tail has great social value. He wants to fit in. Without it, he says, all my friends will laugh at me. Is the fox acting freely? Maybe, but the decisions he makes about his life how he determines what is good for him and how to get it are heavily influenced by what he thinks others demand and expect of him. How free is the fox, do you think? Does his dilemma resonate with you? How free do you feel? Raise your hand, please. <laughs> if you felt more free two years ago. So I really can't see any of you, so I'm not sure. <laughs> um, how about 10 years ago? You might be familiar with the infamous photo from 1936 of the lone man standing with arms crossed as hundreds around him hold up their arms in salute and allegiance to the Nazi party. Every year, at the start of my ethics class, I would show this picture and ask my students, which of these people do you think you would be? And depending on the year, somewhere between 80 and 85% of the class said they would definitely be the lone dissenting man with his arms crossed. <laughs> but <laughs> actual psychological studies show that not even 10% of us are likely to be that man. These studies tell us that our dominant moral strategy is actually compliance. A 2016 Harvard Business Review study, for example, asked subjects 
what would you do if someone cut in front of you in line, you know, the coffee line, for example? Most said they would promptly and politely ask the person to go to the back of the line. How many do you think actually spoke up? Well, when researchers ran the experiment, only one in 25 actually did so. The rest were either too lazy to be bothered or too afraid of what others would say or do. Compliance reigned once again on November 11th of this year in an engineering class at Western when a student was arrested for failing to comply with the university's vaccine mandate. <laughs> what was surprising to me, though, was not really that the student was arrested, but that an entire classroom of students, his peers and perhaps friends, sat silently by doing nothing including the person who thought to record the video of the arrest. If you were in that class, what do you think you would have done? Today we face substantial rewards for compliance. If we comply with the government's pandemic response measures, masking, distancing, lockdowns, and now the ever-increasing and nebulous vaccine rollout, we are granted the conditional privilege of re-entrance into society. And the penalties for failing to comply, being bullied, shamed, excluded, cancelled, even fined or arrested. Last time I was here, I had a number of questions. I still do. <laughs> Why do our Prime Minister, public health officials, and even the electronic sign above the highway on my drive here tonight claim that vaccination is a necessary defense against COVID-19 when the director of the CDC, the chief scientific advisor to the UK government, Israel's director of public health, and even Dr. Fauci himself have all stated that the COVID vaccines do not and cannot prevent transmission. Why are the doubly vaccinated granted free access to public spaces when as a recent study in The Lancet, which is a medical journal that is second only to the New England Journal of Medicine, showed that at day 15, vaccine effectiveness waned as much as 92%, and at day 211, no effectiveness was detected whatsoever. Why, after Dr. Fauci admitted that the vaccines don't work quite as well as they thought they would, are we now led to believe that the less well something works, the more we should take it? <laughs> Why does Health Canada continue to ignore early outpatient treatment protocols when they are being used by brave Canadian physicians every day with a success rate that should embarrass doctors Tam and Moore? When will it cease to be reasonable or possible to call this a pandemic of the unvaccinated when they are only 10% of the population? 6%? 1%? A fraction of a percent? <laughs> Is this a moving goalpost or a non-existent one? Why are we about to vaccinate five-year-olds when the vaccines give them at most a 1% 
absolute risk reduction, and when there is no effective monitoring system to track adverse events. Would it surprise you to hear that this question doesn't come from some fringe extremist group, as our Prime Minister likes to say, but from Dr. Peter Doshi, senior editor of the British Medical Journal. And as Christine Anderson of the European Parliament recently said, in the entire history of mankind, there has never been a political elite sincerely concerned about the well-being of regular people. What makes any of us think <laughs> that it's different now? We find ourselves not just in a state of scientific confusion. We are a confused, terrified, morally exhausted, demoralized nation. We have lost our moral compass and with it, the moral and civic virtues on which we have built our healthcare system, our legal system, and our democracy. We have been instructed by our leaders to hate, divide, shame, and dismiss, and we are excelling at these things superbly. This is now what it means to be Canadian. Who could have predicted that we could be so easily persuaded to turn our lives upside down, to fear everyone and everything, to isolate ourselves for months, now almost two years? Well, while the novel vaccines are being rolled out, another experiment is being run every day with each one of us as trial participants. Do you remember the ad that depicted COVID-19 as a green cloud spreading sort of noxiously over the buttons in an elevator? Do you remember that way back, way back when? Well, that ad and many others like it were created by the Privy Council's Behavioral Insights Team, charmingly called the Nudge Unit. <laughs> Doesn't sound so harmful when you put it that way, right? <laughs> to track and influence our behavior. The words we hear every day from our public health officials are a little less organic, a little less extemporaneous than they might seem. They are the highly calculated results of reams of behavioral data that is being collected about everything from our fear of COVID-19 to what is so insultingly referred to as vaccine hesitancy. Remember those behavioral psychology experiments I told you about earlier? The top minds in behavioral psychology now work for our government and they use all of their studies, all of their knowledge to manipulate our natural critical thought, our mental instincts, that which makes us human. They are dehumanizing us one billboard message at a time. So I'll ask it again, how free do you feel? How free are we? Are you familiar with the Life of Pi novel? Put up your hand if you know that novel, okay. Its author talks about the trade-off that's involved with living in a zoo. In the zoo, you are well-fed 
and you have everything you need to live safely and comfortably without constantly fearing for your life. But you are caged. In the wild, you are cold and hungry and constantly afraid of being someone else's meal. But you are perfectly free. Which would you rather be, fed or free? <laughs> it's not a rhetorical question. I, I think it's a genuine and important question, you know? Why does it seem that so many today are choosing life in the cage? Talking about rights these days seems to either fall on deaf ears or be dismissed as irrelevant or even selfish. There is a frightening majority in this country that simply doesn't believe that anything that truly matters is being lost. Have we decided that the life of comfort, security, and conformity, if that is even possible, is worth the price of freedom? How can you, you know, rally a people to stand up for their rights when they don't think their rights are slipping away? What use is there in trying to emancipate someone who doesn't realize she's not truly free? <laughs> what if you're blind to the cage that has been erected around you? What if you help to build it? I'm going to get personal and serious for a minute. To be honest, I wish I wasn't here tonight. I wish I, we lived in a world in which we didn't need to gather to talk about how our country is unrecognizable and how we are at risk of losing our rights and freedoms forever. I wish we lived in a world in which I could be at home with my daughter reading her the story about the fox and tucking her safely in bed, not worrying about whether or not I will be able to keep her safe over the coming months. I wish we were here to celebrate our successes as the nation that used to be the envy of the world. But I don't think we live in that world right now. And I'm not sure we've lived there for some time. If what we have seen to date continues, when the vaccines are rolled out for 5 to 11-year-olds, there are children reading stories and getting tucked into bed right now who won't live to see their next birthdays. For my part, I will fight every day for a world in which that isn't something we have to worry about, in which our children... <laughs> which our children need to fear only what is truly fearful, in which they can live like children and not like little adults carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. Let's not make our mistakes their burdens. 
Let's not frame their lives with the uncertainties that we could have better managed. Let's not saddle them with the consequences of our own complacency. Let's give our children their childhoods back. If we could only see what we've lost and where it's taking us. If we could just realize that it's better to have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. If we... If we could allow each other more grace than shame. If, as Rudyard Kipling wrote, you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies. Or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet don't look too good, nor talk too wise. Kipling wrote those words in 1895 for his only son, killed in action just six weeks after his 18th birthday. But they could just as easily have been written for us today we face a challenge of unfathomable and inestimable proportions. Personally, I am terrified most moments of every day. <laughs> the parents in this room will understand that, I'm sure. But I won't become a victim of terror, and I won't be terrorized. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving ahead through fear, in spite of fear. Look for a minute at the person sitting in front of you. The person sitting to your left and your right. <laughs> Look at me. We are your citizens. The people you've, you've built a country with. The people that will be affected by what you do today. We are not each other's enemies, and we are not alone. And we don't need to comply or agree about everything to have a functioning democracy. A choir in which everyone sings the same part is never as beautiful as the one in which people sing different but complementary parts. The beauty and unity in that harmony is unmatchable. A society in which we respect each other's differences is a true democracy. And that democracy is just beyond our fingertips. We just have to reach out and grab it. As John F. Kennedy said, the glow from that fire can truly light the world. Let's not be like the fox. <laughs> Let's cross our arms. Let's speak up, refuse to comply, ask questions, dismantle the cage. What we need to be free to get our country back is already inside each of us. It's time to choose courage in spite of fear.
Will you join me? <laughs> if not us, then who? <laughs> and in the words of Hillel the Elder, if not now, then when? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>